Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection. As we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth and your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hello, and welcome back to Belonging. It's Becca Piastrelli here, recording this in the afternoon, except it's dark outside because when I'm recording this, we're less than a month away from the winter solstice here in the Northern Hemisphere, really feeling here in Northern California the transition from autumn to winter. I'm wondering how it's feeling for you, wherever you are listening. I know we had some snows in the north and the east already, and hmm, it brings up a lot of different emotions, like excitement, and then my Western mind is like, I'm not ready yet, and then my ancestral mind is relieved that the wheel is turning and that we are moving into a time of rest and spaciousness at least ancestrally, that's actually what I want to talk about today, is the ancestral folklore perspective of this time of year. I touched upon it in the last episode where I talked specifically about the holidays, but I wanted to speak about this time of year more from what I've learned about my own ancestors and to get you thinking about how your ancestors, whatever your lineage, to think about how you can connect to the way they celebrated this time of year or lived, just plainly lived this time of year. Because I know not everyone loves it. I know not everyone loves winter. And I know not everyone loves the holidays, the winter holidays. And then, or you love the holidays and then it's over. And then you still have a few more months of winter left and it can feel cold and isolating and depressing, right? Winter sadness, winter depression is such a thing. I went to school in Boston and spent four winters there. And I can say that I, as someone who spent has spent most of her living years in California, I really struggled with 
feeling happy and like, okay. In, I remember February was brutal. February was a really tough month for me. So I get it. And I've actually been looking a lot into how the ancestors worked with the feelings of despair and darkness, very physical darkness of the skies and and the quiet sort of feeling of nothingness on the land as a way to help me through those moments of, of winter hopelessness myself. So I'm going to dive into all of that. But first, I wanted to check in a little bit and tell you how I've been because autumn in California is a typically very dry season. It's actually here in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's when the sun is shining brightly and the fog is at a minimum. The fog is actually the worst in the summer here. And it's just a beautiful, warm, gorgeous time of year. But we have been in drought for many years now. And fires have started to pick up. I know I've touched upon that in other episodes, but we had a doozy of a fire just 200 miles north of us, uh, the campfire, which is now the most devastating disaster in California history. Yeah, so many lives lost, animals, humans, so many dwellings burned to the ground, an entire town. And uh, we were choking on the smoke of these Burned homes, burned cars, burned people, burned trees, burned animals, choking on the very literal ash of their incineration here for about two weeks. I mean, the air quality was so bad. Everyone was required, well, not required, I wish required, but urged to wear masks that filtered out the particles and made the air breathable. And people were just staying inside and Schools were canceled and everyone was ordering air filters and then Amazon ran out of air filters and air masks and it was pretty wild. It was a pretty wild experience and I have friends who have firefighter partners who were up there saying it was just reporting back some devastating things and it's just having me think a lot about this idea of living in the Anthropocene age, a time when humans are dictating what happens to the planet. And it's really pointless to deny that this is a thing because it's happening and it's displacing people and it's damaging communities and it's real. So in California, that looks like fire. And I know in a lot of coastal and Southern places that looks like flooding and hurricanes. And it's just something in my heart right now. I'm The rains came last week, just two days before Thanksgiving, and I can the relief in my whole body to be able to breathe deeply again. I was breathing such shallow breaths for so long to breathe deeply again was a really beautiful experience, but I'm not erasing what happened because it also happened a year earlier, even closer to where I live. It's just making me think about how autumn in this time of me the future ancestor, our autumns are dry and burning. And then the transition to winter is about the coming of the rains and the very real relief of that experience. And how I, as a neighbor, as a community member, how I am going to survive that and be 
an ally and be someone who is actively participating in the reality of fire in autumn and summer and spring fire all the time, actually. So Tim and I have enrolled in a like community certification program to learn about how to do minor search and rescue and fire relief and how to help with evacuation. And we're talking more seriously about our go bags and hope preparation and what if we had one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, one hour, five hours to evacuate what our plan would be. It's super real. <laughs> it's super real. This autumn has been the autumn of getting super real about a lot of things. I'll share more of that in the coming episodes, but it's important. I'm realizing just how important it is. And it really ties into my life purpose of feeling belonging by connecting to those I came from and seeing how winter was a time about survival and making sure your neighbors were okay and that they were alive and warm and that the fire didn't burn their house downs and that they had enough harvest to from the growing season to survive a time when they didn't know when winter would be over and they could grow food again. And was there enough firewood? It's just really having me thinking about how, yes, I live in such a prosperous time and oh my goodness, I have more access, more privilege than ever before compared to my ancestors. But there is still this sense of we got to take care of each other and we've got to think ahead, be prepared. So yeah, that's already the lessons of the seasons this year and of my ancestors that I never could have seen coming truly. But I want to touch back in this idea of winter sadness because I know that is a thing and I'm already feeling the presence of grief so much in this season, you know, the more I tune in to living with the seasons, the the deeper the work. <laughs> Just every every year as the wheel turns, the deeper I go. And really f- with the drop of energy, the waning of energy, the very real waning of the sun and the presence of darkness more in our days, I can feel the sort of dip in joy that's happening to me and in the collective and and a fear around that a fear of will the joy ever come back again will i be stuck here in this underworld when actually this is this is where i've learned to trust that the sun will come again and life will come again and winter is here to teach us about rest about death about grief about the importance of community and about faith trust that We can create light, we can be light, and that light will return. So there's this thing we do, not all of us, but those of us who are either descended from or practice a Christian faith or agnostically into this, which is bringing evergreens into our homes, commonly known as the Christmas tree. But this is a very ancient ancestral practice, which is seeing the evergreen as a symbol of the sun, a symbol of life everlasting. And that's because evergreen trees, firs, still keep their needles in the winter. They they have a sense of aliveness. And I was looking into the folklore of evergreens in my ancestral lineage, and firs used to be the tallest trees that grew in Ireland. 
And it was a practice of those who had deep connection to the land, like druids, to climb to the top of a fir tree to check out the land. And then the resin and the oils from within an evergreen or a fir are actually very helpful for our bodies for getting through a time when we can get sick. They're packed with vitamin C. You can make teas out of the needles of an evergreen tree, and you can steam them for helping with mucus production, or um, you can make cough syrup out of pine needles. You can add them to vinegars. You can add boughs to your bath. You can use the oils for hemorrhoids. I'm just reading through my notes from my herbal class with Liz Miliarelli several years ago, where it can be used for as an expectorant for coughs. You can use the needles or the bark. There's just so many uses for the needles of evergreen trees beyond just bringing them into your home. And I don't know about you, but I have such a dear comfort from that smell of that tree in my home and the, the feeling of joy and hope of stringing it with lights in the dark and really feeling that hope and that joy. And to look back at the folklore around and folk medicine magic around an evergreen helps me realize how important it was during this time of year. In Scotland, they would wipe a child's face with a pine bough to wipe away worries and the potential for nightmares. And ships would seal holes with pine resin. And there's a story that Merlin, the great Merlin, died because he climbed to the top of a pine tree and left the world of men. The pine tree took him to this otherworldly place because it contained so much power and so much heavenly, otherworldly power that it took him away. And then there's the pine cone, which in Italy, as a fertility symbol, was hung in the home to protect the fields from blight and from dark magic, whatever it is. There's just so much folk magic, so much important lore behind this tree. And the whole idea of bringing it to the home started with decorating it outside, saying, thank you, tree, for staying alive. Thank you for showing me that life continues. Oh, we're going to bring it into our home by our hearth and give it water and hang boughs around the house to really bring that sense of life continuing, of vitality in our bones into our home. I just think that's so powerful. So my solstice tree or my Yule tree, or sometimes I call it my Christmas tree, that having that in my home feels so much deeper than like, oh, I'm getting into the whole commercialism of the holidays and I'm falling prey to the blah, blah, blah. No, it's a really important practice, ancestral practice. It's a plant ally that I just love how old world ways still work their way into modern day society. Like, Some things we're still into, jack-o'-lanterns and Christmas trees. Cool. The ancestors are very much still with us. So yes, I'm making an assumption that we all have ancestors who are pastoral people at some point, lived with the land, listened to the land. And so this was a time of year where the land is put to sleep and is still. And we ourselves or our ancestors in ancestral time, we are all together, have to have to rest, have to recover from the year's harvest, have to survive for the coming year, stay strong, be together, stay warm, stay nutritionally nourished. And it was a time of telling stories and dreaming 
in the Celtic tradition, this is called the dream time. Actually, the year ended in Celtic tradition at Samhain at the end of October. And the beginning of the year starts in winter, starts with the dreaming, starts from the darkness, starts from the womb, because before the seed can be planted, it must be dreamed into life. Before the baby is born, the baby is conceived of in the dark womb. It all just makes so much sense to me. I'm like, okay. So it's really important before we begin, before we plant the seed, before we water the soil, before we fertilize, before it grows roots in the earth and pops up above the soil, that we spend time resting and dreaming in what is to come. Oh, gives me total goosebumps when I think about it, which means it's resonating for me. I actually have this old Celtic Yule blessing. Yule is another name for the celebration of this time of year when the solstice happens. So that is the origin of Christmas. There's, I don't want to get too much into biblical stuff because I'm no biblical uh, expert, but there's not a lot of proof that Jesus was born around this time of year, but in the rise of Christianity, it really worked out to have him born this time of year when historically our ancestors were gathering to celebrate the rebirth of the sun, the S-U-N, to give a sense of hope and community and faith. So it all kind of makes sense, but Yule is a word used for the celebration, the the sun festival of solstice uh, that happens. Remember, there's eight a year. And so we just had Samhain. This is in the Northern Hemisphere. And then it'll be winter solstice on December 21st. And it'll be summer solstice for those of you in the Southern Hemisphere. So this Celtic Yule blessing was shared with me by one of my teachers, Liz Millerelli, uh, or Sister Spinster. And I wanted to read it because it feels like it explains it all. The food is put away for winter. The crops are set aside to feed us. The cattle are come down from their fields. The sheep are in from their pasture. The land is cold. The sea is stormy. The sky is gray. The nights are dark, but we are together. Kin and clan around the hearth. Staying warm in the midst of darkness our spirit and love aflame, a beacon burning brightly in the night. That's so beautiful to me because it really just sums up (laughs) the reason for our wanting to be together and to give each other gifts and to feast at the table this time of year. It's to stay close and to keep that light aflame and be that beacon burning brightly in the dark night in that inky blackness to know that we can rest in the womb or in the cave. You know, you can hibernate like a bear or you can return to the womb, whatever metaphor works for you. It is such an important time to really lean into both community and rest. And that feels really clear in a lot of the folklore that I've come across. So one of my favorite folklore stories is actually out of Italy. And I can't trace ancestry to Italy and I love Italian folklore and Italian culture. And then I married a man with an Italian last name, and it seems a bit of Italian blood. So, um, but that doesn't mean you can't love cultural folklore. 
and cultures if you don't have ancestry to it. I want to be clear about that because I think some people think I'm saying you can only love what you're ancestrally connected to. And actually what I'm saying is, first of all, I am not the judge and jury at all. I'm just encouraging all of us to know who and what we come from first. And that gives us a deeper appreciation for cultures that we are drawn to or called to even that aren't necessarily in our bloodline. I hope that makes sense. So back to winter solstice folklore of Italians. And there's this character called La Befana. And she's like the witchy old lady St. Nicholas. She flies around delivering candy to well-behaved children. And actually, a lot of the folklore is says that this happens in early January. And this is something else to remember is that the folklore and magic and beauty of winter isn't just like December 25th, you know, it's or 21st. It's throughout winter that this need for hope and connection and goodwill is throughout the winter times. And it's not just one night, but I highly recommend looking at the story of La Befana. She's sort of a crotchety old woman, like a hedge witch living on the edge of town. And she's magical. She's a witch. And, you know, her pots and pans sort of cook for her. And the little children go on parade every year and they knock on her door and she never comes. But, and they, and she's sort of like, get out of here, get off my lawn kind of a character. And then when everyone's asleep, she flies around and, and delivers the sweets to the well-behaved children, which is just, it's kind of like a feminist Santa, you know, (laughs) into it. Um, So that's a cool story. There, every tradition and not just ancient tradition, modern tradition. We are the myth makers. We are creating the stories as we go. This whole Santa Claus thing is like very recent and descended from the St. Nicholas thing, which was descended from the stories shift and change throughout time. And that's the beauty of it. What really fascinates me are these ancient sacred sites that were built to align with the sun on these sacred days. So The most common one that people know of is Stonehenge, which, P.S., I drove past a few weeks ago when I was heading to Heathrow Airport from Glastonbury, Mythical Avalon, and we drove past it. And I'm so embarrassed to say that the first thing I said was, it's small. (laughs) And then the person who was driving was like, no one has ever said that before. And I was like, I just, I, it was just so big in my mind. It was just, it was so grand. And I mean, it's still amazing. And I, I'm sorry, I don't know. And then she said, you know, I felt that way when I saw the pyramids for the first time. I was like, oh, they're not as big as I thought they were. Isn't that interesting? So yes, the Stonehenge was built to align with the sun on the winter and summer solstice. So that when the light, when the sun rises the mornings around the solstice mark, astrological solstice mark, it lines straight up with the way the rocks are formed. But there are other tombs and other rock formations that also, all over the world, that are also for solar alignments. And I went to one, oh my gosh, I went to one a few weeks ago when I was in Ireland ironing out details for the sacred pilgrimage we're going to be having um, for Bealtaine, for Beltane this coming spring. And I got to go to Newgrange or Bruna Boyne, 
which is the old Irish word. And it's a prehistoric monument built in 3200 BC, 500 years before the pyramids. Heyo. And it's a passage tomb. It's a, a cairn, so it looks like a big mound. And it's one of the more popular sacred sites in Ireland, and it's it's been restored. And the beauty of that is we, you can go inside. And so I went inside, and it's incredible because there are all these carvings in the passageway, on the ceiling, on the walls. And these are ancient carvings, and a lot of them are of spirals, the triple spiral, and like chevron triangles and I I was my breath was so taken away when I went into Newgrange because I looked at these ancient patterns of like Neolithic people that I can say I'm fairly clear I'm descended from folks maybe not those specific folks but in that area of the world and I don't know, there's like a thing around appropriation and certain patterns of painting like face or on textiles. And I've been very sensitive to that. And there was something about seeing this triple spiral and these triangles and these and these paintings and feeling like, oh my gosh, it's that, it's that reweaving of that severed part of me, that whiteness, that thought, oh my gosh, I have no culture. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, I don't come from people who are interesting or um, connected to the earth. And it's like, uh, no, this tomb where they buried their and honored their ancestors that is perfectly aligned with the sun on the summer and winter solstice uh, is covered in, you know, celestial uh, inspired and ancestrally inspired artwork. Just unlocked a few things in me that just felt really powerful. I didn't go there on the winter summer solstice because it's so hard to get in. They do a lottery drawing and I think like 30 people can do it. And my friend Karen Ward, who's actually going to be on the retreat in Ireland, she's incredible. Um, This spring, she got to go two years ago and she said it was so cool. But they have a basically, what is it? They have a way of mimicking the sun rising basically with a light. So they turned off all the lights and then the guide turned on the light and showed like, this is two minutes in, this is five minutes in. And then you see right at the peak, the sunlight goes in, I think like 19 meters and bam, hits right on this carved triple spiral, 5,000 years old. I tell you, I was just like, wow. We were silent. It was so powerful. So there are sites all over the world that mark this moment in time that just makes me think like this is so much deeper than arguing over what this time means for us. It's just meaningful no matter who you are and what religion calls to you and what your ancestry is. This is a powerful moment astrologically, celestially, it's it's just so powerful. So in the Welsh tradition, uh, it's called Albin Arthon, and it's about really the death and rebirth of the sun, that the old sun dies on the 21st, and then the new sun is born on the 22nd, and in between is the longest night of the year, and that they would stay up all night in front of a fire, 
sort of in in a state of um uh what's the word in a state of ecstasy or in a state of um sort of like lucid wakeful dreaming um singing and dancing and feasting and drinking and whatever it was until the sun was born again it's like mourning the death and then heralding and celebrating the rebirth which is something i would love to do the last few years i've really celebrated the sun going down and being in the darkness and then i just go to bed i feel like one year like to have an all night like bonfire situation would be really powerful and in Scandinavia, it's the Feast of Yule, J-U-U-L, which is where a lot of sources say the Yule log uh, folklore was really brought about, which is burning a log from the last year's fire in a new fire to sort of carry the wheel of the year over. I've also heard people say you save your Yule tree from one year and you use it to burn as the Yule log for the next year. The Yule log tradition has spanned many different cultures, but it's just a really powerful way of bringing in fire, bringing in light. My teacher, Liz, always talked about how flame is an antidote to the belief that we are alone, to loneliness, to really bring in flame in the darkness, even to light a candle to remind yourself you're not alone, to really have a big fire in your hearth or a bonfire in your community on this longest night of the year is to really represent hope. And then there's the Feast of Saturnalia of ancient Rome, which is like pretty wild. And it's seven days long. It begins around December 17th. It's an ancient holiday. Some people still celebrate it, but it's really to honor Saturn, the Roman god of agriculture and harvest. And it was really a time of like everyone kind of going nuts. It was like opposite day like the slaves would become masters and the masters would become slaves and everyone wore masks and like grudges and quarrels were forgiven that day and wars were put on hold and it was just like a carnival of crazy there's probably like crazy orgies happening like it was nutty and it was also the origin of gift giving some say other people say the origin of gift giving came from queen victoria interesting. It all converges, but that this was a time of gift exchange of little figurines that looked like the animals they owned and their slaves and their and their masters, they would just like exchange these figurines. So that's interesting. And then one of my favorite goddesses I've been working with a lot over the last year is the Kaliak. C A I L L E A C H the old crone goddess of Celtic lore. Um, she has different names throughout the ancient Celtic world. There's another name in Scotland that I've, oh, I can't remember it. We'll put it in the show notes, but she has part deer in her. Sometimes she's shown with like a, a deer or a buck's body and then her head on top. And And she is the goddess of winter, of death, of the thin veils of from which all creation ends and begins. She is the death and rebirth goddess and she is old and she is ancient and she doesn't take any shit, <laughs> but she is also so powerful and so wise and so loving. And it is said that Ireland, many of the stones and valleys and, and soft hills and sharp mountains were made by her by dropping 
boulders from her apron as she walked across the land. She's she's just so interesting. I think as I am calling in my eldership, as I am becoming an ancestor myself, as I am aging, you know, with every silver hair, I just like give love and thanks and gratitude to the Kaliak in me. And yeah, so I, there's some good Googling you can do around these holiday, Christmas, winter solstice, Yule deities, goddesses, folklore that I think is really powerful to drop into the deeper meaning, especially if you struggle with winter or the holidays to really see that so did our ancestors. It's a hard time. It's a super hard time. And even though we all have electricity and heaters and whatever, um, and Twitter, (laughs) I don't know why I said Twitter, or Instagram or whatever it is to make us feel connected, that there's still that existential deep loneliness we all struggle with. And to remember evergreens, to remember the flames of a fire, to remember our community, to to go a little wild, to go a little nutty, and to see that the sun does come back the next day. And every day, it's like gets a little bit stronger. And before you know it, we're hitting February, and we're talking in bulk. And the goddess Bridget, again, I'm speaking from my ancestral perspective, and then we're at the equinox, and all of a sudden, we're in spring these moments of of being in the days solstice literally means sun stands still so stand still a moment to take stock of all that we've created and all that we've shed in a moment of truly deep darkness the darkest moment of the year it's powerful stuff so maybe after you're listening to this you can go with your shears and snip a bit of evergreen fur tips and boil a pot of water and and inhale that comforting and antibacterial steam into your lungs into your body and welcome bid welcome to this sacred and powerful and beautiful season that happens every year and see what deeper wisdom there is for you see what layers you can shed and how you can find a deeper comfort in this time of year, I'm I'm thinking of the word huga that got really popular. H y g g e, this Danish concept that everyone just went nuts over a few years ago of really just embracing winter because it's a harsh winter over there, and and it meaning cozy togetherness. It means you don't have to do too much. Make a cup of tea, do a puzzle, cook some soup. Just embrace it. Because it doesn't last forever and the sun comes again. But right now we're here. So you can get your huga on. In fact, many of us are relieved to have an excuse to rest, right? In modern culture that makes us just go forever and hustle and, and you know, chug the espresso. And, and doesn't that drive us nuts this time of year? I just plain don't have as much energy this time of year. And I need more sleep. And I need to move slower. And I need to cancel at least a third of my plans. It's it's just the name of the game. It's the winter time. May we find stillness. May we find rest. May we repattern the ways that we are not serving ourselves in deep care this time of year. And may we take care of each other this time of year. Not just with charitable giving, which is so important, and not just with presents, 
but with attention and time and presence. I would love to know what your traditions are around the winter solstice, whether they're religiously focused or not. I welcome it all. I see it all as beautiful and sacred. Uh, Let me know on Instagram at Becca Piastrelli. I love to keep talking about this. Seasonal celebrations are a deep and important part of my life. Trying to think about how I'm going to spend the winter solstice this year. Having just moved into my new home, I'll figure it out. Maybe just a moment of stillness as the sun sets. Just that is enough. And probably some fire in my new hearth, my new fireplace. Let me know how you're spending it. Thank you for listening so, so much. And I'll see you again soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred, and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day. For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.